Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning, Thrive Church. It's great to be here this morning. I've gotten to speak to a few of you, and um, if you don't want to give your big goods to Pastor Brian, um, there are other people you can give your big goods to. (laughs) I'm standing here today because Jesus changed my heart. I was 38 years old in southern Illinois, married, practicing law, go Illini, (laughs) got my law degree at the University of Illinois, and practicing law in southern Illinois. And I'd been born and raised on a church pew. And I was in church, but I was not of God. You see, I was deceived into thinking I was a Christian, but I just struggled with a few things. The true story is that I was completely in deception. I was against God. I was addicted to pornography and illicit sex. And you know what? At 38 years of age, he brought me down. And he changed my heart. And he changed my mind, and he changed my life. Now, it cost. It cost me a law practice. It cost me a a marriage. But then he reminded me of a call he put in my life when I was a child to missions. And so fast forward to the age of 48, he had me shut my law practice down, sell the house, and move to a place where he led me to. And you know God calls you when you know the place when you never knew the place existed in the world. It's not, it's not the Bahamas. You couldn't dream about it, right? And so he led me there to a specific island, but that island wasn't open, so he led me to another place a few islands over. And I'm there on a team where we reach out to Muslim people group, Muslim people who have never, ever had the gospel, ever had the gospel. They don't know a God of love. They've heard of a God that is just counting whether they're good or bad, and when they die, he's going to punish them or not. That's what they know. They don't know the love of Jesus. And so I was there on the island. You saw the video about Zaki, and we were able to share. I want to tell you another little story about a guy. God has a heart. has a heart for you. has a heart for me. And he has a heart for the people on these islands. He has so much of a heart. I had a relationship with the family there on the island. I would stop sometimes. And um, because of my relationship, the grandpa who had gotten ill was living in the home. And I was able to go in and visit him. One time I stopped by and they're like, yeah, grandpa's in the room. Guys, it's unheard of. For a foreign white guy to walk into the house, into the bedroom, and just talk to somebody. In their culture, that doesn't happen. But it's about relationships. He was dying. I knew he was dying. And so I got down next to his bed. And in the best of his shingazija, it's another foreign language that I could tell, I told him about Jesus 
And Jesus had changed me, and Jesus was the way, and to cry out to Jesus. And I don't know if we snatched one from the enemy just before he died, but it sure is possible because he looked at me, he understood what I was saying. But I'm not going back there. What are you doing here, Mark? Because three islands over is an island with the Maori people. And the Maori people have been Muslim for a thousand years. There are few, if any, known believers among them. And that's the island God called me to originally. We call it Shipwreck Island. And our organization has asked me now and another couple to go and start a work on that island among those people. And we've been told when they figure out why you're here, they will put a curse on you. Okay. Made me think, well, how many curses are on us from the other island? (laughs) Seriously, I was like, ooh, I know it's rough over there, and sometimes we know the enemy's working against us, but I didn't think about curses. And then she said something I wasn't prepared for. She said, just want you to know that among this people group, there are still human sacrifices. I'm like, Yo, that's not even Islam. What are you talking about? Now, I'm not worried about them coming and grabbing me, but it just shows you how lost, how dark these people are. When you guys give to Thrive Church, you're going. You understand, sometimes it's easier for me because I'm over there, I walk out of my door, and I know I'm on the mission field. I lived here until I was 48. It's a lot harder to remember why I'm not going to Starbucks, why I'm skipping a few rounds of golf, because we as a family made a commitment that we're going to the Maori, and so we have to, we're going to give that commitment every month here. You know, God doesn't measure location. God doesn't look at me chasing rats. Yes, I had chaser. He almost got in my chili. Um, It was not good. He doesn't look at that or the typhoid, typhoid malaria I got and say, oh, that's, that, that's a whole lot better than the guy skipping a couple rounds of golf. No, God measures obedience. He doesn't measure location. location. That's us. And you understand, you go just as much as I do. You just don't get to sweat as much. It's a tropical island. So thank you. Thank you for what you have done and what you are doing for the kingdom of God. You're going to hear more about I assume you're going to hear more about it, about RFK in a moment. You do that. You do that. You understand? God really doesn't measure these guys and me and say, oh, that's more. He's just looking, are you obeying? Are you obeying? That's what he measures. So thank you guys for your impact here in Lockport and around the world. God bless you. I'll be at the table. Oh, we need prayer. If you want to pray for us, sign up for the newsletter or scan. There's a QR code back there to scan to sign up on the prayer list. Grab a card. Grab one of my uh, little info sheets if you'd like. Um, Stay in touch. All right, I'm not on Facebook a whole lot. We try to keep things quiet, but we have a prayer list and update.
Thank you. God bless you. That is awesome. Thank you, Mark, so much. We are all about a Thrive Church. God taking broken lives and restoring them. That's why it's named Thrive, from out of the ground, out of the dirt, out of the dust. Something would grow and breathe new life and weather the storm uh, and, and bear fruit. That's why we're named Thrive. And to see that happen in Mark's life, and now he's going to the nations. And that's what your giving does. Your giving goes to nations. Uh, and it will with Mark as well. But speaking of, your giving also goes to Royal Family Kids Camp for the children. So I'm going to introduce them, and then I'm done for the day. Uh, <laughs> till the end, I guess. Um, but uh, uh, um, some of our, our co-directors here are Matt and Zanette. Now, they left us for a dying, struggling small church the next town over. Uh, but they're believing for the day they can come back when God releases them. Um, but uh, they're dear friends. He's our first youth director um, and, and amazing people of God. Uh, welcome up, Matt and Zanette. Come on up. Thanks, Brian, for that uh, introduction. <laughs> um, as you said, I'm Zanette. This will be my 12th year of camp, and I cannot believe it. Um, this can't mean so much to me, and so I won't do much of the speaking. I'll let uh, Pastor John and Kimmy handle that. But we wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of know about the different ways that you can support our camp. And one of it is by being a part-time volunteer. I know that committing a whole week can be hard with your job or with having kids. And so I wanted to give you the opportunity to hear about our part-time um, volunteer opportunities. So during camp, we've got a lot of activities. We have uh, evening events happening. We have a lot of kids who want to go on a canoe or kayaking and a lot of kids who want to do a woodcraft. So it's really hard to split that time sometimes. And so having you come for the day is um, helpful enough for our support staff and for our counselors. Just being that extra hand, whether you come for two days in the week or one day in a week, um, that would be an opportunity that we can let you guys kind of be a part of um, to love on our kiddos in that way. Uh, another team that we really need help with is our teardown and cleanup team. So the last day is really stressful and overwhelming because we want to make sure that we still spend our time with our kiddos, but then we also have to get out of the campground at a certain time and get our kids back home safely. And so we really, really need help tearing down the campground and just the setup that we have for our chapel and breakfast club, getting things in the, into the trailer, making sure the kids' stuff is all packed away and nothing is left behind. And so if we can get a team together for that to come just at the uh, very last day of camp to help out with packing the trailer and getting things um, all put away, that would be really helpful. And then the last team that we can uh, use a lot of help on with part-time is the Welcome Home team. I know that we've got a couple who I've already mentioned that they'll help out with the Welcome Home team, and that kind of consists of getting the dinner together, because after a week long a week long of camp, we would love a nice like fried chicken mashed potato dinner, and so we do have we often have like a welcome home team dinner that kind of helps get those dinners ready, as well as helping get like the kids luggage out of the trailers and making sure the kiddos get everything that they got from camp back home with them. So those are just a few opportunities for you all to kind of consider, and I will pass it off now to Eric to kind of talk a little bit more about different ways to help out. So I was actually asked to talk about finances for a second. Um, one of the reasons we're doing the bake sale to raise money and also the reason we have it by donation and not a set price. The campground alone is $11,000. That doesn't include much. That just kind of includes a, the grounds and a place to sleep. 
Um, so that's not including extra activities, supplies, gifts we want to buy for the kids. So all in all, it's extremely expensive. Uh, so your support uh, is not only needed, but it's welcome. And um, you can give uh, through the donations at the bake sale. Uh, there's ways to give online. But we just wanted to give you guys an idea that uh, unfortunately nothing in today is, is cheap. So it does cost a lot for us to do this. When we got there, the people were holding up signs and yelling our names. I didn't think it was going to be fun, but it, it really was. They didn't tell us that there was going to be horses. It was like a surprise. That was my favorite part. And we went tubing. We could go as fast as we wanted. I was like, come on, more. The idea of Royal Family Kids Camp is to treat people royally. It's a really fun camp for kids that are in foster care. A lot of kids have never had a birthday party before, and we give them a birthday party. That was like the first time I ever experienced an actual birthday party. You will leave that week knowing that you're loved. We had a tea party. We got to pick out dresses, then someone did our hair, and that was really fun. Right away, we knew that there was something special about her, and we got to see her come out of her shell even more so as the week went on. My mom and dad would get in fights a lot, and there was this one time when my dad hit my mom. And so when my mom had us, she would drop us off places for two or two or three days. And then when my dad had us, he would keep us, but he would like have his friends over and they would like do drugs and stuff. I went through like a whole bunch of foster homes and every foster home I didn't feel welcomed there. They like didn't really trust God. I had the idea in my mind that he wasn't good because like how could God put us through like what I've been through? Like initially we just talk and we let the kids talk and share what they want to share and don't share what they don't want to share, but um, they are so loved that entire week and it opens so many doors for them to be able to let go of things that they don't have control of and able to forgive the past that wasn't their fault. There was a leader that told his whole story and then he shared a story about how he was abused and um, I had the same thing happen to me and him telling his story and how he forgave his person, um, I decided that maybe I could forgive the pre people that did stuff to me that was wrong. So that night uh, when we went to bed, I prayed about it and uh, I decided that I was going to forgive them and I did. I started following Jesus at Royal Family Kids Camp. I knew who God was, but I didn't think he was nice or anything. And it just changed my whole perspective on him, and I learned that he is good. The good news that we heard is that Angelina was to be adopted. She's our first camper from Royal Family Kids Camp Spokane to be adopted. I have a family, and that's just like all I've ever wanted, and now I have a family. I think over the course of the time that I have known her, she's just blossomed, and I think that a lot of that is just being in a family and feeling like she belongs, and the example that she got to see at Royal Family Kids Camp of who God is. I think there's so many foster kids here in Washington who need to be able to go to camp and to experience who God is and to be able to be a part of God's family. Wow.
what a story. Over and over again, we hear of uh, children who come to camp and leave with more than just the birthday gifts and all the things that they brought. Uh, many of them leave with families. Uh, hi, my name is John Schweider. Uh, I'm also a missionary with the Illinois District, home missionary, and I work full-time with an organization called For the Children. And what we do is we create life-changing moments through local churches for children who have experienced relational trauma. Kids where that, that want to come to a camp where there's a safe space, where they can play, where there's safe people, safe beds, and they can not only just be themselves, but they can be loved for an entire week. Uh, I met a guy that was a former camper that told me that the only time he ever understood that there were good people in the world was when he was eight years old and came to a Royal Family Kids camp. He told me his previous camp experience was when he was in his bunk and all his bunk mates beat him while he was in his sleeping bag. And so when he came to Royal Family Kids Camp, he found out that there are good people in this world that will love him. Camp doesn't just happen. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of sacrifice. And everyone in the church can be a part of this through, through giving, through going, and through praying. And I would encourage each of you to figure out what your place is in that work. Now, it's important that you know that there are forces hindering this work. As you enter this battlefield for the soul of a child, now the weapons we wield are mighty. They're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, the enemy has weapons too. His primary one that he uses is his very name, his identification. He is the accuser. Now, we don't engage in his tactics. We want the ministry to succeed. We know what our weapons are. But when the body of Christ adopts that, that, that tool of the enemy, the work becomes fractured. And the antidote to that is something that Jesus prayed in John 17. Listen to these words as Jesus prayed to his Father. Now at last they have recognized that all you have given me comes from you, for I have given them the teaching you gave to me. And they have indeed accepted it and know for certain that I came from you and have believed that it was you who sent me. It is for them, I pray. It is for you that Jesus is praying. I am not praying for the world, but those you have given me because they belong to you. All I have is yours, all you have is mine, and in them I am glorified. Jesus is glorified in you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep those you have given me true to your name, so that they may be one like us. As individuals and as the body of Christ, we are continually compromised in regards to being one like the Father and Son are one. And our failure to do so not only hinders the work, but we make the church an unsafe place. The Apostle Paul explains it like this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. But our tendency is to struggle against flesh and blood. We fight with people. 
Behind the scenes, in the darkness, we find the catalyst, the accuser, the devil. Now, in my experience, some accusations are earned through foolish behavior, okay? Some of us have it coming. Let's admit it. But then there's others that are just thrown into it that doesn't deserve it. And I want to break this down for two reasons. One, to help us all focus on where the battle lies so we can graciously move into that that oneness that Jesus prayed about. And secondly, to help you understand that these foster children, these children of royal family kids, are on the battlefield with us. If the accuser can take the leaders out, he removes one access point for foster children to enter into the kingdom of God. It's a win-win for the kingdom of darkness, and all one can do to prevent the attack, it's real easy, just step off the battlefield. (laughs) You know, play it safe. Everyone knows that the thief doesn't break into an empty house. So if you want to avoid that, play it safe. Now, a person can be accused a couple of ways. One is evidence-based, okay? Um, Phone records show that uh, you were in a bank while it was being robbed, and when the investigations come to your house, there's a brand-new Ford Raptor in the driveway. There's evidence to say you might have been involved in the bank robbery. That's one way. But the second is false accusation for which there is no defense. And what makes that such a powerful tool for the enemy is a false claim cannot be proven, nor can it be defended. So I'm going to set the Wayback Machine for the early 90s, and all those sitting there, I was thinking, this is before Zanette and Kimmy were born. Wow, that was a long time ago. Because when you talk about things that, you, that were really embarrassing in the past, um, somehow when you put it 30 years in the past, you can see that God has redeemed those failures so that His kingdom can progress. Uh, back in the early 90s, I was, I was suspended from ministry by the Illinois District of the Assemblies of God uh, for charges against me of, of conduct unbecoming a minister. The church I was in was in conflict, and certain members of the board decided they were going to do a house cleaning. And as the children's pastor, I made the wrong mistake to decide to fight that battle with flesh and blood. The accusers recruited my, one, of my sec, one of the secretarial staff to go through my computer on my day off and see if they could find any dirt on Schweider, and they did. They found several letters that I had written to friends and people in the ministry um, making fun of the board members and people that were trying to do this house cleaning. And I wasn't very kind. I was disparaging, lewd, sarcastic. If you want an example, I named one of the board members and said I wanted to rip his head off and throw loose change down his throat. Now, that's not funny. No, that's, that's what ministers aren't supposed to say. So what the district officials correctly figured out is Schweider has anger issues. And they wanted me to engage with a therapist. So I was suspended from ministry, and I began to go to counseling. And then the counselor would make reports to the district office regarding my progress. And one of those things I found out during that time is sarcasm is rooted in anger. Discipline done correctly works. Listen to what Paul writes to the Galatians. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing... You who are spiritual are to restore such a person in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted. Now, God prepared me for that ahead of time. In fact, five months ahead of time, before anything had happened, 
I, I really wanted to get out of the ministry. And I was at the altar on a Sunday night, and I was telling God, God, just, just let me leave. Let me go drive truck for a couple of years, and I promise I'll come back. And I, I felt this hand on my shoulder, and this lady began to pray for me. And then she got real close to my ear, and she whispered, and she said, Pastor, it's real hard. It's going to get a lot harder. <laughs> and God is going to use this to purge you of things that you brought into this ministry. And then she said these words, and God said it's okay to get your truck driver's license. Now, that's, that's a pretty clear word. I wasn't praying that out loud because I don't want anybody to hear that. But when I was suspended five months later, having that ACDL in my pocket was, I think it was God's way of, of helping me through my lack of faith, knowing that if I lost my position, I wasn't going to lose the house. God is incredibly gracious. And through that process, the Illinois district and, pa- and my pastor were so gracious during that time. It is a model for disciplinary procedure when accusations are true. You do the work, you change the way you think, the body of Christ acts graciously, and the kingdom is advanced. But if you want to hurt someone, if you want to drive someone out of the ministry, you can align with that prince of darkness and falsely accuse. Paul writes this to the Galatians. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft. Okay, we get that. We can all say amen to that, but he goes on. Hostilities, strife. Wait a minute, are you... Strife and witchcraft in the same, yeah, strife, same thing. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarned you, as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, does he say slip once? You had an outburst of anger? Oh, no, I'm lost. No, that's not it. If you practice that, are you always in outbursts of anger? Are you always, are you always in strife where you're, you split one church and then go split another church? You know, are, are you always drunk? When I was 20 years old, I would toke up in the morning. Is that still a phrase, toke up? Sorry. And yeah, speaking, I'm speaking 60s here. Um, and then I would stop on the way home from work, and I'd meet a buddy at a tavern, and then I'd stop at Bannon's Packaged Liquors, and I'd pick up some stuff to drink when i get home. I was drunk all the time. When God, God actually released me from that, that constantly wanting to be high through that exact verse, I heard that verse in church, and God kept using that to help me to get through that time. Now I'm going to ask Kimmy to come to the platform uh, so, we, um, so we can help you understand the eternal consequences that are at stake when we wage this war for the redemption of foster children and how critical it is for the body of Christ to align with His holy purpose as we advance the kingdom together. Now, Kimmy, you came to camp when you were nine years old. And then she returned as a 16-year-old. And do you recall those first days of being a Christian? I do. So when I first started coming to Royal Family Kids Camp, um, to give you a little bit... Am I on? Can you guys hear me? I can't even hear myself. Okay, so when I first started coming to camp, um, to give a little bit of a background story um, about 
two days before coming to Royal Family Kids Camp as a first-time staff member. Um, I was 16, so I was still under the legal age of being able to live by myself and make my own decisions about where I wanted to live. And um, my placement at the time had failed. So um, two days short of Royal Family Kids Camp, I was in a group home. Um, and I had absolutely no idea how to get um, in touch with Pastor John or our directors at the time, Bob and Carolyn. So I was lost beyond belief. Um, and then finally, actually on my 16th birthday, I moved to a new group home. And at that point, we had access to computers. So I was able to message John on Facebook. And at this time, he had turned his messaging notifications on. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> and um, so it immediately went through. I told him where I was, and he fought tooth and nail to be able to um, get me to camp that year in order to be a first-time-ever camp staff. Um, so my world went from completely rocky, like living with these people that I hadn't even known, to being able to spend an entire week with my royal family. And um, through that, I was able to make lifelong relationships. You know, John and Marlene, um, when I first started coming there, they were obviously there. And then I met the Zellametas and the Hansons, and um, I was able to create these deep roots within just a week at camp, again, for the second time in my life. Um, and then that's when I began to start coming to church with them. And then when you were a new believer, you got to go on a missions trip to South Dakota, and you had a real interesting moment with a lady that I want, you, I want you to share. Yes. So I actually meant to look up the name of this convenience store, and maybe somebody in here might know the name of it. But we went to South Dakota on a missions trip, and we, we ended up at this general store that our youth pastor was so excited about. And once we started seeing the billboards, we knew that we weren't going to love it because it was advertising free water. Does a store <laughs> ring a bell to anybody? No, it doesn't because nobody wanted to go there besides our youth pastor. Um, but he loved it so much that even when we were only there for three minutes and we asked him to leave, his feelings were not hurt. His feelings were completely fulfilled by being in this store. Um, so I was 17 years old, and I don't know um, if you guys know a whole lot about me, but this is 10 years later, and I'm a still pretty awkward person, so rewind 10 years and imagine how I was then. Um, so we were standing in this convenience store, probably being normal youth kids, um, being too loud and obnoxious. And all of a sudden, I felt this pull towards this lady. And I was like, well, that was weird. So I completely tried to ignore it. And I heard God clear as day say, go talk to her. And I was like, no way. I am not going to talk to a complete stranger. Because I don't know, like 17-year-olds don't do that. I mean, besides Nate Bauer, nobody does that as a 17-year-old. <laughs> So I was like, no, God. And he's like, well, if you don't go and talk to this person right now, you are going to throw up. And I immediately was overcome with um, this nauseous feeling. And there's nothing worse in the world than I hate them throwing up. So I go and I start talking to this lady. And things just start coming out of me. And at that point in my life, I wasn't reading my Bible. I barely opened it at youth group on Wednesday nights. You know, I was always scrolling through Facebook during youth service. I didn't really, I didn't read the Bible. I was not knowledgeable about anything. And so I start telling her about the woman in um, the woman that came to the well and about how she was clean and she didn't have insecurities that kept her from going to church. And then I just left. <laughs> and I had no follow through with her whatsoever. And I tried finding our youth pastor to tell him and ask him what just happened to me because I had never encountered that before in my entire life. And I'm running around this huge, gigantic store 
searching for him and searching for him, and I finally see him talking to the lady. And I was like, oh, no, what did I do? Is she telling on me? Like, this cannot be good. Because when you see your youth pastor talking to somebody after you just did, normally the youth pastor is asking for forgiveness, right? Right, Jesse? <laughs> so um, a couple hours later, you know, I'm 17. I completely forget about it. And uh, Pastor Charlie comes up to me, and he says, do you realize what you just did? And I'm like, no, what? And he's like, you just prophesied over this lady. She had just lost her son a week ago to suicide. And she was so embarrassed and she felt so much shame in her life that she didn't want to go back to the church that she was at because she thought that they were going to blame her for it. And so Pastor Charlie followed through like most people do. And um, I hope that she went back to church the next week. Um, he prayed over her, but that was just a really great thing that I did after I realized what it was. During this time, Kimmy really became a part of our family. Um, she was, uh, took care of our grandkids. Um, she just became very much a part of, of the Schweider clan. And then something happened in Missouri that rocked the nonprofit world. A campground director was charged with molesting over 100 boys over a 10-year time period. And all of a sudden, all nonprofits are starting to do a threat assessment. And so what Royal Family did to be able to protect the organization, protect the people within, they said, okay, nobody can have any relationship with a minor child that has been a part of our program. And Kimmy was about 17 and a half, and I had to tell her I couldn't talk to her until she turned 18. And Kimmy, maybe you could share a little bit about what was going on at that time in your life. Yeah. So I think that there was just a whirlwind of emotions. First, I was so excited that we were going to dinner with the Schweiders because my aunt didn't really participate in a lot in my life that was happening in the biblical world. So I was like, yes, this is finally a chance for her to maybe get introduced to God because I've been praying for her my entire life to come to church. And so I thought that that was going to be an opportunity to invite her to do that. Um, however, when we pulled up at this restaurant that God knows who even visits. That we're, that we're never going to again. <laughs> Which was perfectly planned. So <laughs> it, it was done with such delicacy that it, it really helped helped me through the transition of it. So yes, we went to a restaurant that was perfectly planned that I think he, you guys both prayed that we would never enjoy and that I would never drive past again, which I do sometimes to my in-laws, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> um, and so it was, but I just remember you telling me the news and my world just came crashing down. Um, and I think that the biggest hurt, the biggest factor that put so much hurting on my heart was that everybody who had ever left me in my life had chosen to left me. Um, that being said, and this hurts to say because I am a mom and I know, um, and a little bit of my testimony, when I was six, the reason why I entered into foster care is because my little brother um, crawled into a mop bucket and drowned. And it hurts, but that was a choice. He, he chose to do that. Um, a couple years later, my brother got, my older brother got into a drunk driving car accident and died. Um, again, a choice. Um, my stepdad, um, he was murdered for being completely tied up in the drug cartel and everything else, which is crazy to me. So it's, it's been people's choices that have gotten them either removed from my life or I have chosen to remove them from my life. For John to sit there and to tell me that now that I'm perfectly entwined in his family, which is so healthy compared to mine, um, 
And I just told Eric last week, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with my family. If they're not dead, they're dead beats. So I finally have this healthy family dynamic where I'm, I'm an aunt and uncle to his kids. I'm, I'm Pimmy, and I'm invited <laughs> to all their birthday parties and Christmas and Easter and just this place of belonging, and it was just ripped away from me so suddenly. Um, but again, if it wasn't done with such delicacy, I wouldn't A, be the leader that I am today, and B, it would have hurt a lot more. So thank you. Yeah, and then, and then things really started, um, really started cascading. Uh, one of our volunteers misunderstood my care for Kimmy as grooming. And she began to start this, this rumor that I was grooming Kimmy for abuse. And when I presented my evidence that that's not possible, Kimmy and I are never alone, and you can talk to anybody in our life, but that volunteer was not satisfied, and she called the Royal Family Kids National Office and reported me as an unsafe person. And then her pastor entered their financial support of our camp, among other consequences. Do you have any memories of that time when we were going through that? You know, and I, I think that it was kept away from me in order to protect me for so long. I hadn't known about it until it was years under the rug. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> we didn't practice this ahead of time. <laughs> And then when Kimmy set her sights as director, uh, we brought her into our camp as director in training. And then the following year, um, there were a lot of issues going on with, uh, with a lot of staff issues, accusations, uh, some, some factions, some fracturing. And in order to uh, calm everything down, Kimmy and I were not allowed to go to our own camp. That, I know you remember. Yes. I do. I remember it like it was this morning. Um, so to, to go back on that first year, when I came as a director in training, I had already known that there was what I thought was a hiccup in the road, but what happened to be a huge boulder in the road. Um, but I pushed it under the rug, and I made myself be strong because I felt like, looking back, anything I've ever done for Royal Family Kids Camp has always had some kind of something in the road that I had to completely climb over and ask God to move the mountain for. You know, when I first went to TBRI training, there were issues. When I first came as a 16-year-old, there were issues. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. And for those of you who don't know, like pushing forward multiple years, obviously this is our third year of camp. Our first year of camp, um, I went to Pastor Brian. And I said, hey, Pastor Brian, can I start a Royal Family Kids Camp? And I had this entire, like, 75-page essay in my head, like, trying to convince him to let us go, or let me go to camp and be a camp director. And I had a five-year plan. I was going to go to camp training in two years, and from there, within three years, I was going to start a Royal Family Kids Camp. And he said yes. I was like, what? I didn't have to say any of this. He just said yes right off the bat, which was God entirely, especially with everything that I had faced until this time up. So I told him my five-year plan after he had already said yes, and of course then he was like, yes, I already said yes. And so the next day I called him and I said, hey, Pastor Brian, I think I want to go to training in two months, but don't worry, Matt and Zanette are going to join me. And I know there was some hesitancy, but he said, if, the, if this is God's movement and this is what God wants done, do it. And then I said, but then I want to start a camp this year. And he said, okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> and so um, we had to raise $12,000 to go to that camp training, and we did it in two months, no problem, on top of um, 
we ended up driving there and you guys helped us get there as well. So thank you guys. And then COVID hit and we still did camp. So God has been so good. But that being said, had this pastor not have told me that I couldn't go to his camp, I wouldn't be here today. Listen, for, we, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you hear that theme going through everything we're saying today? But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And if we cast blame on the players, the kingdom of darkness wins. We wrestle with flesh and blood, and everyone loses. Well, except the one who inspired the darkness. And he might win the battle, but he's not going to win the war. Uh, Kimmy, tell me about your commitment to fulfill the call of God on your life. Yes. So I'm actually going to start off with a story um, about my daughter, Sawyer. She is 21 months now, and I just switched from saying 18 months to 21 months, so (laughs) forgive me if I start crying. Um, But we were at the playground maybe a month and a half ago, and um, we're there for like 30 minutes. We're playing, and all of a sudden, like, she stops and starts staring at this woman who just appeared out of nowhere, and she's sitting on this swing. And I think she's crying, but I'm not really sure. But she's an older lady, and she's by herself at a park. So I immediately become a helicopter mom, and I'm like, Sawyer, don't look at her. Don't go by her. Like, let's stay as far away as we can, as we can. Because let's admit it, it's a sick world, right? Um, And anything is possible. With that being said, Sawyer starts inching herself closer and closer and closer to this lady. And I'm like, Sawyer, let's go. And so she's like, swings, mom, swings. I'm like, okay, we can go swing on the swings. We don't go swing on the swing. She goes immediately up to this woman, and I swear, she puts her arms on her, and she, like, starts talking. And the lady's like, what is she doing? I'm like, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure she just prayed for you. (laughs) And this woman just starts bawling her eyes out, and she just gets up and leaves. And I just felt like that awkward 17-year-old girl at this weird store again. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, all of me should have followed through and prayed with her, too, but I didn't. And my daughter led through example, but I knew that, and I felt so um, guilty about that for the rest of the day, but I knew that if Eric and I weren't good parents, she never would have had the morals to go up. And what I think and still think is to pray for somebody. So I want to be a better mom to Sawyer. Um, I want to be a better leader to our kids, to our staff members, um, so that way we can lead all kids and adults um, to Christ together. Uh, Heidi, would you come? Yeah, you can give, give Kim a hand clap. Thrive Church, I want you to know the investment that God has in the creation of your Royal Family Kids Camp. This effort has been targeted repeatedly because one child redeemed can change a generation. I don't know if you're aware of the statistic, but A girl that gets emancipated from foster care is usually pregnant by the time she's 21, and half of their kids will end up in foster care. Sawyer will never, ever spend a day in foster care because all these battles, lost and won through the time, has caused us to succeed in this war. This is a story that has been taking place over 17 years, almost interrupted by the accuser. And we persevered through those battles. And we had courageous pastors, courageous leaders like Ryan leading the way. 
Proper discipline is embarrassing. It's shameful when one's sins are made public. But when it runs its course through grace, through confession, through repentance and restoration, the kingdom of God advances. Accusations are also embarrassing and shameful, but one cannot confess to what they have not done. There's no need for repentance. There's no process of restoration. The accused must persevere and courageously stand against the accusers, following the example set by Jesus through the crucifixion on his way to resurrection. I'm going to close with Galatians 5, 14, and 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Sometimes it's easy, Father. Sometimes it's hearts and flowers and Valentine's Day. And then sometimes it's just hard. Father, I pray that you would protect us from the accuser. Pray that we would uh, recognize his work and not take it out on the individual, Father, but understand the source. And then, Father, let us go through this life with your grace, always extending compassion to people who are in desperate need of us. Keep our eyes open, Father, for opportunities to advance your kingdom, not just through Royal Family Kids Camp, not just through uh, countries we can't even mention from this platform, but, Father, throughout our day and throughout our lives, let us be used by you to advance your kingdom through grace and kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Genesis 50, 20 is just what's on my heart so much today. I'm literally driving back from something, and I won't go into the story, but a few years ago when Glory was born, we just went through an ordeal where, um, long story short, they illegally kidnapped my daughter, illegally. And we ended up having to fight the state, and they, we just, class action lawsuit, we won because what they did was illegal. And you know you're right, when you're on a certain politically, you often fall on one more side of the aisle, and like Chicago Tribune and CBS News is like, yeah, you guys were correct. <laughs> and what they did to you was evil and wrong. But even God used that to supply our needs. Like down the road years later, you know, Thrive is more than generous to us, but I got five kids and it's expensive to live here. And how God uses even that to say, I'm going to take your suffering and turn it into your sustenance. Genesis 50, 20, you know, Joseph is talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery. Which, man, that'd be a tough one to forgive. Most of us would be like, they're toxic and we're done with you. <laughs> That's not what Joseph said. Joseph said, what was meant for evil, the Lord would use for good. Somebody would shut you out of a camp. You know why? Because the Lord said, I don't need a bigger camp. I need another camp. We don't need this church to be bigger. We need another church. We don't need this to be, we need another. We need more. We need the kingdom to advance in the hearts and minds of people. And I believe that's a theme of this church. This week I was thinking and praying. You know, our, this is, 
in a backwards way become our mission Sunday. And uh, <laughs> in a falling backwards, and I don't know if you know this, I've been praying since before we ever launched. So almost seven years, God raised up missionaries in our midst. And I, I'm just going to say it, man, because I'm just so excited. Dave, would you stand up? Bobby, stand up too. Dave is applying and will be entering September this fall to become a U.S. missionary. Many sons of God. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't, probably the road up to this point at times feels like, God, what are you doing? What the enemy meant for evil. The Lord's like, watch, just watch. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. So long.